0: The scripture reading this morning is from Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to behold the truth of your word. Your word is clear, but it is easy to understand it's easier to understand than it is to live. So open our hearts to receive your truth this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, a number of years ago, I began reading uh, Victor Hugo's *Les Misérables*. You know, I, I hesitate saying these names because of Sebastian and Chris here. So, you know, guys, you can correct me at the end here, all right? So, um, Give me my best English pronunciation. Here. So um, a number of years ago, I began reading this novel and I'm still actually reading it. But um, one of the things that struck me in the early part of the story is that one of the early heroes of the story, whom God uses to help around the life, help basically help the life of John Valjean to get on the right path, is this bishop uh, named Muriel. He was the bishop of this town at the very beginning of the story, and this bishop was different than any of the others in France, according to Hugo, because unlike other bishops, this man was quick to show that he knew who God was, who Jesus was, that Jesus had impacted his heart in such a way that his life was lived differently than those around him. When the bishop arrived… First to his parish, he discovered that the parsonage, that is the h- house he was going to live in, uh, that he, when he arrived at this parsonage, it was, it was this giant mansion. It was huge. It had these huge pillars around the sidewalks. It had a magnificent garden and this huge dining hall. Now, it was going to be the bishop and two other people in this home. So as he was getting settled in, he decided to go down to the, uh, the church hospital, which is right near, on, near his, on his grounds of this parsonage. There he found in the hospital a um, bunch of patients crammed into a very small space. He asked the director of the hospital, how many patients do you have? And the director told him that they had 26. And the bishop said, that's very crowded for such a small space. Yes, the director said, but we must be resigned with our circumstances, what can we do? The bishop thought for a moment and said, there is evidently a mistake here. There are 26 of you in five or six small rooms, but in my home, in my parsonage, there's room for 60, but only three of us there. So this is, there's a mistake I tell you. You have my house, and I'll take yours. So the bishop switched with the hospital and lived in the one-story home, while the former parsonage, this giant mansion, became the hospital and had more room to receive more patients uh, to help that particular town village that he was in. Now, here is a man of God who was willing to live with much less than what the world said he needed. The reason the bishop was content with less was that he had discovered the biblical teaching of how to be satisfied in every circumstance of life, whether in plenty or in need. And today we're going to look at the subject of gospel contentment. Well, next week we're going to come back to the same passage and close out this book on the theme of generosity. There are two – these two themes are sort of interwoven in these ten verses, and I want to pull them apart a little bit and focus them again on contentment this week and generosity next week. Now, this wonderful passage we just read has three of the most well-known verses in this book and maybe in all of Scripture. Verses 11, 13, and 19 are encouraging and uplifting, and we may often even quote them. Many of us know them, have memorized them, and will use them. In various circumstances and situations of life and that's that's perfect. That's wonderful. I want to encourage you to continue to memorize scripture to apply it to your life. We hear Paul saying these verses I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances or in verse 13 I can do all this through him who gives me strength. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. These three verses zero in on this theme of contentment in the Christian life. But as wonderful and encouraging as these verses are, they fall into the context of Paul giving thanks for the gift he had received from the hand of Paphroditus. Now, I say that because it's so important as we memorize scripture, as we apply scripture to our life, that we remember the context of that scripture. So, for example... Many of us probably always know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me now I'm a 54 year old man That doesn't mean I can go out in the back after church here and race Larry down on the sidewalk and beat him in a race 100 yard back, right? No matter how much Christ strengthens me. I'm probably not gonna beat Larry in a, in a race, right? It doesn't mean that Hey, I didn't study for my test last night, but Christ strengthens me. I'm gonna make an A it doesn't mean any of those things. The context of these verses are within the context of generosity, within the context of contentment. Now, I say that we still encourage you to memorize scripture and use scripture, but remember this: take this as um, love from me. That use scripture within the context it's meant to be used. That's my side note. We'll keep moving forward. But um, Paul began this whole section here, just like he ended begin the the book just like he ends this book and as he begins with rejoicing here in chapter in chapter 4 verse 10. and there is a genuine gratefulness on paul's heart for this body of believers and we've seen this throughout this book as we've gone through it over the summer paul rejoiced because of who these believers are and what they've done for him over the years he rejoiced because they demonstrated their love for him, and their devotion to Christ through this gift they gave him. He rejoiced because the gospel was at work in the lives of the Philippians. And Paul could see it through their previous, through their provision for him, and through their desire to share in his troubles. The gift, and this gift that Epaphroditus brought from this church enabled Paul to continue to live, and on some level even thrive, in a jail cell. Remember, that's where he is. He's in a Roman jail cell. and He's been there for years. And with this gift, Paul turns his mind and our thoughts to to our subject today, the subject of gospel contentment. Paul wants to teach this church something important, something that he has learned himself that has transformed his walk with Christ. He wants them to know and experience the Christian life the same way he does because Paul understood that the Philippian church is struggling with poverty. He doesn't want these believers to feel guilty because they were unable to initially help him, nor does he want them to struggle with worry or fear at their lack of resources. So Paul takes the time to teach his friends the secret of contentment. Now, what about you? you know, are you satisfied, satisfied in life? You know, If we read the newspapers or do any kind of polls, most Americans are extremely unsatisfied uh, with the life that they have. You know, have you learned, like Paul, to be content? My guess, and you can correct me if I'm wrong later on, my guess is that most of us would answer no. Uh, we haven't found the secret of contentment. No, we haven't found what we're looking for. You know, and as I was preparing the sermon this week, I, this verse, I'll call it a verse, but this sentence came, kept coming to my mind, we haven't found what we're looking for. You know, For whatever reason, as I'm preparing these sermons, these 80 songs keep coming into my head. And I'm sorry, but you're gonna have to hear another one from me today. And if you uh, know this song by U2, right, Uh, you haven't found what you're looking for. It's this sort of, I I love it, it's 1987 or so, if you like U2, you like Bono, great song. Uh, If you don't, that's all right, still pay attention. But here's what he says in this song. I have climbed the highest mountains, I have run through the fields, only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls only to be with you, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I've spoken with the tongues of angels. I have held the hand of a devil. It was warm in the night. I was cold as a stone, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Now I don't, Bono I do not believe was writing this song about contentment, but I think it speaks to our hearts in the way how many of us feel in our day-to-day existence, in our day-to-day life. We want contentment, we strive for it, we hope to get it one day, but it always seems just out of reach, just out of reach of our hearts, just out of reach of our hands. Now, beginning with verses 11 and 12, Paul jumps into this topic with the interplay of two verbs here, you see in in verse 11 and 12, we get these two verbs to learn, no, no, and learn. And he says that he has gone through a learning process himself to come to a place of contentment. He said, I've learned to be content. Now, does does that surprise you? Does it surprise you that Paul had to learn how to be content in life? I think sometimes we approach the apostles, particularly Paul or Peter, and we think, no, these guys had everything, they had their acts together. They, They were fine, but no, Paul, just like us, had to learn contentment in the middle of his difficult trying circumstances. Think for a second about what Paul is saying here. Paul says, My whole Christian life has been one of both good and bad circumstances. I have been beaten. If we talk about this before, I've been beaten, I've been whipped, I've been stoned, I've been shipwrecked, I've nearly died. And wished, he says in Second Corinthians, that he wished that he was dead because of the severity of his suffering. Paul goes on and says, I've planted churches, right? I've labored for the sake of Christ. I've seen men and women transformed by the gospel of Jesus. I have sat in this jail for three plus years. And through it all, God has taught me to be content in my circumstances because I have seen and experienced his face through the good days and the bad days. He's telling us, and this should encourage us, I hope it should encourage us, that even if you're struggling to find contentment today, that there's still time for you and me to learn it, to grasp hold of it, because God desires for you and me to be content with the life he's given us. This is not a novel teaching, as the Bible often speaks, on this virtue of contentment. Later on, Paul will write the book of 1 Timothy, and in chapter 6, verses 6 to eight, he says... But godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that Look, the bottom line of what Paul is saying is we're not born content When you come to Jesus in faith, you don't automatically inherit his characters and values We must learn to grow in Christ like this We must strive after like this. And part of that growing and learning, Paul is saying, is for us to learn to be satisfied in the life that God has given us now. And here's the thing. This can be an ongoing battle that pops up now and then. You can find yourself at a place of contentment and three years down the road, be struggling with contentment. Because still, Paul is saying, we're gonna to have to learn, we're gonna to have to struggle with where God has us moment to moment. You know, I generally think of myself as a pretty content person uh, with life and ministry, and most of the time that's where I am. But a number of years ago when uh, COVID raised up its ugly head, I really began struggling with contentment. I really began struggling with contentment around my ministry and around living in New York City. Now, I know, maybe that surprises you. Most of you are like, I love living in New York City. I... Like New York City, most of the time, but there are days, um, many days, sometimes when I don't enjoy the city. And if you've gotten to know me over this summer, um, you know that I've had one of my struggles living in the city comes from, uh, from the fact that there's not a lot of beauty in the city for me. You know, some people look at the buildings and are like, "Wow, that's that's amazing," that's, and and it is, but that doesn't my heart doesn't like, rejoice at that. Um, where I find beauty and where my soul is rejuvenated is in nature. And so for me, I have to get out of the city sometimes to do that. But during COVID, I was really struggling, struggling with my ministry, struggling with just living in a city where I just felt, felt oppressive to me. My soul couldn't rejoice um, where God had me at the moment. So I continued to struggle with that. And then over time, I began to work in my heart. And I'm thankful that he's brought me to a place where I've learned, at this moment, I can say at this moment, I've learned to be content by finding ways Get out of the city now and then Now please don't come to I have one person tell me this many years ago You know you can go to We really need nature go to Central Park I love I love Central Park But that does not make my heart rejoice It's, it's a beautiful place But it is not a rejoicing place for me um, But God had to show me And teach me how to rely on Him Even in the midst of trying circumstances uh, With ministry during COVID And being sort of stuck in the city um, And He did provide a way out for me later on that I could get, in a sense, rejuvenated uh, through different experiences. And I come back to the city, in a sense, revitalized, and my soul is reawakened to who God is and being able to trust him for being here now. And I'm thankful for that. And I've talked way too much on that topic, but. Did you notice, now did you notice in the text that the problem of contentment for Paul came up around the issue of money or finances? Did you see that? Paul says, I have learned the secret of being satisfied, whether living in plenty or in want." Now, it's interesting. Paul uses this Greek word for secret, and it's a very special word. It's the only time he uses it in the Bible, and it has this connotation of these cultic religions of the first century, these these mystery religions, where you learn the secret knowledge, that if you come into them, you get this secret knowledge. But you have to join them and do what they say and so forth. And then as you come in, you can learn these secret things. Well, Paul is sort of has a play on words here, saying, look, I'm going to teach you a secret. Now, the secret Paul's already taught them The secret's the gospel of Jesus, right? That's the secret. And so that's why there's a little bit of play here on these words. But here's the thing. Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment, whether I have plenty or I want. Now, we would expect... Paul to say, well, I had to learn the secret of contentment because I didn't have what I needed. But he also says, I need to learn the secret of contentment when I had plenty. That's surprising. That should surprise you because most of us don't think like that. We don't think of wealth or finances actually being a hindrance to our contentment. For Paul, poverty and wealth were equally hindering to contentment. They both were a struggle for him. It wasn't that if he had one, he was content. If he didn't have the other, he wasn't content. They both provided for him a struggle. This is not the typical perspective for most of us. You know, do you think of money as being an impediment to your happiness, to your joy, to your contentment? You know, Honestly, if I'm honest with myself and I'm honest with you, I usually think of money in the exact opposite terms of that. Meaning, I usually think of money as if I had more of it, then I would be happier or I'd be more content in life. And as Americans, we seem to be naturally inclined to view poverty as a severe trial, which it is, and abundance as a great blessing, which it can be. But here's the part I want you to hear. But all the while, seeking after more and more things, whether something we can purchase, or whether our next vacation, thinking that through these things, that they're gonna give us contentment. Brothers and sisters, wealth can certainly be good. It can certainly be a blessing, but it can also be destructive to our lives. Most of us could give examples of people we know who have plenty of money and yet are miserable, or absolutely miserable. Church, when wealth becomes, for us, of all things, when it becomes a thing that we pursue after, the one thing that occupies our mind all the time, it doesn't lead us to peace. But it usually brings more and more Discontentment because we want more and more of it. Wealth can, the Bible says, Jesus said it very specifically in the gospels, wealth can actually push us away from God. It can actually move us away from God because we find our contentment in Him instead of God Himself. Money can be as addictive as any drug. The more you have, the more you feel you need. Which is why Jesus tells us that we cannot serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Look, too much of anything can deaden our senses. It can even lead to false contentment, as I said. That's based on the comfort that money brings, not on the faithfulness of God at work in our lives. Now, Ray Stedman was a pastor, and I think he died a number of years ago, but he used to be a pastor, and he says this. Both poverty and wealth are demanding extremes. Both are grievous weights to the human spirit. Both tend to twist, distort, and degrade the personality. Both are trials of severe intensity and can be destructive to human life. But let's be honest with ourselves. The challenge for most of us here today is not to be content when we have little or when we have much. The challenge for us, as Philip Johnson puts it, is to be content when we have more than we need but less than we want. So let me say that again. The challenge for most of us in this room today is to be content when we have more than we need, but less than we want. This is where we need to learn to rest in God and his provision, no matter the situation we find ourselves in. So maybe you're here today and you do not feel gospel contentment in your heart. It's not part of your life. You're struggling to pay the bills every month. There doesn't ever seem to be enough to cover your monthly expenses. Maybe you're lonely and needing friends because life in the city can be very isolating. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage. You're feeling that you are at your wits end in your marriage, and that's not what you signed up for, or for, and you're not where you want to be anymore. Maybe school feels like a long trial to you. You don't enjoy it, you find it boring. Look, brothers and sisters, If that's where you are today, if that's where you find your heart today, know, first of all, that you're not alone. And secondly, know that Paul wants us to understand that real gospel contentment begins in Christ and flows out of a life centered on him. Look, I think it's obvious that Paul is saying we need contentment to thrive and flourish in the Christian life. But the question is, is what is contentment? You know, the word contentment in, in our text today is based on a Greek word, which means self-sufficiency or self-contained independence. Now, it's again in this text is one of these odd words that Paul pulls out and he's using it very specifically, but it's a word that Greek stoic or Greek Roman stoic philosophers use. So he very specifically picks this word that stoic philosophers of his day were using to talk about contentment. The Stoics taught that people had no real control over their external circumstances. The only control they had was over their personal attitudes, over how they felt about their circumstances. You know, they would say we cannot control what happened to what happens to us, but we can control how we how we feel about it, that we have control over our feelings. The key for them was to become emotionally self-sufficient, which could be achieved through their own strength of will. That was what Stoics believed. Now one famous Roman stoic named Seneca said this, the happy man is content with his present life, no matter what it is, and is reconciled to his circumstances. Now I think some of you may be most of all, after hearing that definition from Seneca, we're thinking, isn't that what Paul is saying? Maybe you're thinking that. Isn't Paul saying that we need to be content with our circumstances? That's what Seneca said. Is Paul just really quoting stoic philosophers here? Didn't Paul say, I've learned to be content in all circumstances, just like Seneca. Whether I have abundance or little, I'm content. This is, is this what Paul is saying to us? What do you think? You know, we can't control our circumstances. So instead of focusing on them, the Stoic says, we should focus on our inner feelings and how we feel about those circumstances. Because those feelings are what we have control over. Look, I think the scary part for some of us, and maybe for many of us. Is that we approach contentment more from the Stoic standpoint than we do from a biblical standpoint. You've all heard it before and maybe even said it. I I certainly will say this sometimes in in jest, right? You know, tell people suck it up, buttercup. Right? You've heard that. Or just keep swimming. Right? Dory, just keep swimming. Or man up. That's a good one. Right? Man up. These are beautiful, modern, Stoic sayings what these are. They're modern Stoic sayings telling us, hey, ignore your circumstances. They don't have an impact on you. You control who you are and what you are how, by how you feel. Look, Stoicism on some level is alive and well today, even in our materialistic and greedy culture. You would think that they would be in opposites of each other, and yet somehow we combine these two things in our culture. Both materialism and stoicism have at their center a view that the self is sufficient. The stoic says contentment is found in simply being resigned to your outward circumstances. And unfortunately, that's how many of us approach our contentment as well. We just are resigned to the fact that "Ah, this is where I am. There's just sort of no hope for me. I'm just, yeah, what can I do? I can't change anything about it. Our materialistic culture today says contentment is having everything you want whenever you want it. You know, the best slogan for that is bread, Burger King, right? Have it the way you want it. Our entire entertainment culture, from advertisements to pop culture, is geared toward making us or helping us not be content with what we have, but to always want more or something better, newer or shinier. Both materialism and Stoicism teach that you are not that you are the root of your own satisfaction and contentment of life. Right? Their teaching is that you are the root of what brings happiness to your life, what brings contentment to your life. Friends, this is what I want you to hear. Paul is not adopting Stoic philosophy to explain contentment. No, he's saying I've learned to be satisfied. I've learned to be sufficient, but not in myself. I've learned contentment by being in Christ. He's not saying I've learned contentment by being indifferent to my circumstances, by stuffing my emotions or concerns, or pretending or even denying that my circumstances are difficult. Now hopefully you've seen that over the summer. Paul is very open about his struggles. He's been very open about jail isn't easy for him. He wants to get out of jail. He wants to be set free. He's not content in the sense of being left there. And therefore, when our circumstances are hard, he's saying to us as well, we can still be content in our circumstances and still want those circumstances to change. We don't have to deny or or act like they're not real. They're not difficult. They're not a challenge for us. And so many times, that's where the stoic aspect for us comes out when we deal with difficult circumstances. We want to pretend, at least on the outside, that those things aren't difficult. Our life is at hard. Our life isn't a problem for us. What Paul is saying is summed up really well by a Puritan named Jeremiah Bur- Bur- Burroughs. He's quoted in a reflection today. He was a Puritan writer who wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. You know, it was, it's a really considered a Christian classic, and it has been read and studied by Christians for centuries. Though my guess is probably no one here, including myself, has ever read this book. Um, in the book, Burroughs defines contentment as – I want you to hear this. This is what he defines contentment as – that sweet, inward quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. He argues that contentment is not simply a matter of feeling happy or satisfied, but is a deep-seated attitude of trust in God's faithfulness and goodness to us, his people. This is what Paul has learned. The true gospel contentment comes from trusting in God and his provision no matter what our circumstances are. It's trusting in the goodness of God even in spite of our difficulties. Our contentment in the Christian life begins and ends with Jesus. That is what Paul is saying. The key to gospel contentment Paul begins or Paul lays out for us is in verse 13. And again, we know it all. We know this. Many of us have it memorized. Um, We can quote it and Paul says here in verse 13 I have learned that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or as your NIV says um, I can do all this through him who strengthens me Do you see what Paul's saying here? He turns the stoic viewpoint on its head by taking self-sufficiency and redefining it The Christian's ability to handle the good the bad and the ugly of life doesn't come from ourselves it doesn't come from what's inside us it comes from christ who strengthens us daily to follow and live for him the power of christ at work in us can give us the peace and rest our hearts desire you know there's a beautiful passage in jeremiah that says much about what it means to find contentment in christ and i want to uh, read this is jeremiah 17 verses uh, 7 and 8 please listen Jeremiah says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. He does not fear when it when he comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Look, Jeremiah is saying that we who are in Christ are like this irrigated tree. Philip Johnson says, how can we, how can this tree keep its leaves green in the middle of summer and bear fruit in the middle of a drought. He goes on to say that this tree itself doesn't contain an internal spring in itself to maintain its leaves and maintain its fruit. No, it's being fed by an outside source. And the same is for you and me. We can thrive in difficult circumstances, not because of something in us, but because we're connected to Christ through faith. And as we seek him out, as we trust in his faithfulness and his goodness, he will help us come to a place in our hearts where we can rely on him and trust him, even in the worst of circumstances. Later, Paul goes on to say that God will meet our most, or I'm sorry, God will meet all our needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's key, right? God will meet your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus And that every need doesn't just include your need for things or your need for whatever. It includes your need for contentment. And that's what Paul is saying. It's not just for our material needs. It's also that God will meet your need to be content because his desire for us is to be content, men and women, who are united to his son through faith. Brothers and sisters, a contented heart may come and go in our lives. And you may be a Christian today who is struggling with contentment. Now know it's okay to be struggling with contentment as long as you don't stop there. That Paul is telling us to continue to strive after contentment in Christ because only Christ can give you that. So don't stop if you're struggling. Continue to press on by reading scripture, by meditating on Jesus, by praying, knowing that your source of commitment comes from Jesus not from what we can work up in our hearts. It only can come from Jesus. I know some of you are here today may be struggling with dissatisfaction and contentment in your heart and with life really because you've not come to the source of life. God may be giving you that feeling of discontent in your hearts to gently draw you to Christ, to your Savior. So come and find Christ, who is always near, and in him find the contentment your soul desires. Would you pray with me? High King of heaven, by your grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, give us a case of true contentment, of true gospel contentment, so that we will never accept a false substitute. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.